Jam Session is a podcast where two guys who grew up in Dallas-Fort Worth discuss sports, craft beer, life, and their experiences living in one of America's most vibrant cities. If you love sports, you're going to love this show. If you love craft beer or you're curious about it, you'll love this show. Great conversations with good friends is what Jam Session is all about. Welcome. It's nice to have you here. I hope you enjoy it. I think you will. You're listening to the Jam Session Podcast. I was told that I could listen to the radio at a reasonable volume. With Cowboys insider... What's your name? Jean-Jacques Taylor. That's my name. Radio personality and craft beer expert, Matt McLaren. He's a very strange young man. He's an idiot. Comes from upbringing. And now, the Jam Session Podcast. It is indeed Jam Session. Subscribe, rate, and review. Hang out with us for a while right here on the Jam Session Podcast. Sponsored, as always, by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights the legal battle so you have time for healing and renewal. But right now, the moment we've all been awaiting for has arrived. Ladies and gentlemen, the radio the TV, and now the podcast star, the sexy Jean-Jacques Taylor. What up, dog? I would be the non-sexy one, Matt McLaren, and this is Jam Session, the podcast version 231, asking simply that you prepare to be dazzled. If not entertained. And you will be today. We've got a lot to get into. The Mavs have a series. Stephen Jones does drugs. Okay, that's facetious. <laughs> I don't know. I don't need people being, oh, oh, libel or slander, I should say, since libel is written and slander is spoken. I'm being facetious, but sometimes he says things that make you wonder. Maybe he just thinks that we're all really stupid. It, we'll get into that. We've got ESPN's Todd Archer going to jump on with us as we navigate yet another phenomenal episode of the podcast. None of this happens without our fantastic sponsors. And we've got Greening Law to tell you about. I was actually telling my buddy about this again today. He was like, yeah, you know, this and this with the wreck and all this. And it's just wild. I said, man, I'm telling you, if you haven't done it yet, you, I'm telling you, call them. Because trust me, you will have a case. I was like, I, I don't know for sure because I'm not a lawyer. But the attorneys at Greening Law, Robert Greening and his green team, and I told them, I was like, I've been using them. They've been working for me. They are going to get you set up. And what they do is they become that competitor, your fierce legal competitor against the insurance companies. Let it go, man. Make the call. Tell them your case. Let them hear the details. And let's hope they take you on for a client because they will ride for you, man. They'll die for you. You know, it's the ride or die thing. But more importantly, they'll take care of all the little things for you that you don't know about. They'll take care of the big things for you. They'll be your goalie. They'll keep the puck from getting in between the pipes. How you like that, man? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and best of all, man, it doesn't cost you anything to pick up the phone and call them and say, here's my situation. What do you think? Because they don't get paid unless you get paid, which is a big deal to me. Yeah, and it's easy. Again, it's so easy to just pick up the phone, make the call. If you've been hurt in a car accident, malpractice, injured on the premises of a business, there's so many reasons why you may need their services. So give them a call. Find out if you've got a case. 972-934-8900. 972-934-8900. Robert Greening, offices, Dallas, Texas. And Dallas, Texas is where, for us, last night, Monday night, the Dallas Mavericks, we were graced by the presence of a God. As Jalen Brunson, 
decided to descend from Mount Olympus and take his place amongst us mere mortals. Jalen Brunson, and it's funny because, you know, they were talking about after the game, oh, he just made himself a bunch of money. He was going to make a lot of money anyway, but he might just break the bank because what he did last night, he put that team on his back and said, come with me because we are evening up this damn playoff series, and they did it. Dude, he he started he started from the beginning. I yeah. mean, he was off and running from the jump. Played with a lot of confidence. Played with a lot of bravado. And um, yeah, man. I mean, there's really nothing more you can say than in that particular game. It was, hey fellas, come with me. I'm gonna take us somewhere. And uh, the good thing is his teammates recognized that, got out of the way, and let him do the thing, man. But he was phenomenal, incredible, stupendous, and uh, he gave him a shot, man. And so. He took a game for them along with Maxi Kleber, and now it's about how can they take another one? Yeah, I hope that they can. Maybe they don't need to. We'll see. But game two, as you mentioned, I mean, it was right out of the gate. He was like three for three right off the bat. He becomes just the fifth Dallas Maverick in their history to put up 40 points in a playoff game. Dirk did it seven times. Luca's done it five times. Rolando Blackman did it twice. And Nick Van Exel did it once. And now Jalen Brunson. He also becomes just the third Mav ever joining Luca and Blackman to have a line of 40, so 40 points or more, eight rebounds or more, and five assists or more in the playoff game. And he became the first Dallas Maverick in their franchise in the history of their playoffs ever to record 40 points and zero turnovers in a playoff game. I mean, he was phenomenal. Showed he could run a team. Showed he could, you know, we all know that the NBA, even more so than most sports, it's all about the playoffs, dog. You know, what can you do in the playoffs to show us that you're one of the big dogs? And running the point, doing all the things he did. And then the fourth quarter, you know, when he wasn't scoring, he was getting guys the ball like Kleber to wide open threes on uh, as the Mavericks took the lead for good in the final couple of minutes. He was just dude. And then he did in front of the scouts from New York. And to me, the only question for him is, um, and, and it's a it's a legitimate question, but it, but some of it depends on how you're built. You know, if um, he's from the East Coast, play the Villanova. So, do you want to go back to the East Coast? Uh, you want to get with RJ and the Knicks and and Randolph and see what you can do out there? Because apparently, that's you know they had scouts in the audience, Allen Houston, the GM, some other folks. Apparently, they're all hot and bothered after. Yeah. Or. And this is a legitimate question, man. This is a legitimate question. Because they're going to pay you, you know, five years, $100 million, $110 million, whatever. If the Mavericks can pay you five years and 80 or 85, outside of respecting your own ego, there's really nothing you can't buy for 85 if you have $85 million than if you have 100 But you do get to play with one of the greatest players ever, soon to be, Luka Doncic. Y'all can grow together, and you might be able to get a title here. Um, you know, so it's a question. And, and he's not a bad guy no matter what decision he makes. It's just those are two legitimate choices. The Knicks ain't done shit in forever. Uh, the Mavericks with Doncic, you know what you have. One of the top five players in the world who's the same age as you are, if not younger. And he's going to do the thing for a decade, and you're going to be poised to win it pretty much in the competition every year for a decade. With the Knicks, you just don't know. Yeah, and the thing of it is, is something like last night may put him on the radar of an, another team outside of the Knicks that 
might right. be very attractive because, you know, reality of it is if the Mavericks can get, even find a way to get him to the 20 million dollar range and, and that was the reports that had come out earlier this year was that you know back then the most the Mavs could offer him was a four-year extension worth 55 million dollars well and that the, ain't gonna get it done right and, and the reports were he wants 80 million dollars and then a lot of people at the time were talking about the Fred Van Vliet contract that he signed which was four for 85 but the reality of it is, whether it's the Knicks or somebody else, there will be other teams that if they want to, they can offer him a max. And the max deal would be where he makes $30.2 million and then ends up eventually making $35 million over the course of four years. And is that a drastic enough difference if some team, whether it's the Knicks or whoever, goes, hey, we'll max you. We'll just give you a max contract if you'll come play for us. Or do you want to make over the life of the deal, you know, ten million dollars a year less, forty million, forty to fifty million dollars less to stay in Dallas? Okay, now as I said, I'm I'm not insane. So if somebody's offering you 110, and the Mavericks offer you, I'm changing the numbers a little bit. Somebody offers you, let's just keep it what 100, and the Mavericks offer you 85. I can see you taking 85, given a certain set of circumstances. Now somebody's going to offer you 30. And the most a year, and the most the Mavericks can offer you is you know, eighteen. Yeah. Well then, nah, you got to take the thirty, man, because guess what? In four more years, you're upping, you're going from thirty to you know whatever probably. Um, now I will say this: this is just your boy. I think Brunson's terrific player. I don't think he's that kind of player. Like cats who get the max are the best in the game. Luca, you know, and and that crew, yeah. Uh, Trey Young, you know, you know, John Morant will get it. Uh, all those kind of cats. I don't put uh, as good as he is. He's not in that category, and I don't think he's getting there. Well, and, despite and, despite what he did last night, but of course, as you know, that's me. All it takes is one owner to decide yeah. that yeah, he is. Yeah, and then you wonder with the money that they will have locked up obviously with the Hardaway deal would they try and move that for something else Luca has of course the max the super max that kicks in for him and all of that they still owe you know a chunk of change for a variety of other contracts that they've had so I I think I was trying to figure out how much that they will have in salary cap space and what would make sense for Brunson but I, I don't know I mean they can get creative and find ways to if they want to create the opportunity to match what's out there but then it becomes do you want to if a team is going to max out Jalen Brunson who for one night looked like a max player yeah but but that's what I said and you know, it, it's a uh I don't want to sound like I'm disparaging because I'm not but uh you know there's just a big difference between being that guy every night like Luke is and, and getting everybody's best game and all of this and not having to be that guy. And, uh, you know, but I'm not going to sit there and say, because everybody who's that age doing what he's doing says to himself, oh, if you put me in this situation, I'd be that guy. I can do whatever I want to do. Yeah. I'm Jalen Brunson. Yeah. And so if they don't, I mean, that's how they got to where they are. <laughs> so you're not going to convince him that he's not going to be an MVP caliber player if he's in New York running the team. Yeah, no doubt. And, and, you know, you were talking about a guy who was that type of player when he came out of school at Villanova, where he did all four years and he won a national championship and, and he knows what it takes. And he was one of the best players on that national title squad 
probably came in with a little bit of a chip on his shoulder being a second round pick, albeit it was a th- the 33rd overall pick, but still second round and has been in Lucas shadow and being able to break out and, and kind of show that a little bit. I mean, he turns 26 years old before the beginning of next season. He's just now entering the real prime of what he can be over the next few years. I would love for the Mavs to keep him. He was always the one guy that I was like, please, if they can just find a way to lock him up. Because with him, and especially now with Dinwiddie, obviously we've seen what can happen. When Luka isn't on the floor, we've seen how Jalen Brunson can come in and and really be you know, a, a solid point guard and a starting point guard in the NBA. No, I mean, he's terrific, man, and that's that's what you're looking for. And to me, it's just a uh, – what's the word I'm looking for? It's it's just funny that the Mavericks, who haven't given a damn about the draft in forever, somehow ended up with Luka and uh, Jalen in the same draft. Yeah. And, um, and it's nobody's fault. It's just like, man, I wish uh, – because I think ultimately, you know, ultimately I'm an idealist. Ultimately, I just think he's going he's going to get so such an offer that you know you just can't match it. Yeah, or, probably or, not. Matter of fact, that you don't even get a chance to match it because it's not like whatever team takes him out to its fancy steakhouse for dinner is going to say, "Oh, well, you know, Jalen, by all means, take this offer back to Dallas and, and see if they'll match it." <laughs> you know what? You know yeah. what I mean? It's going to be Jalen. We want you, dog. And especially, I mean, check this out, man. In the world of in the world of uh, cell phones and and all that technology, yeah. you could be at dinner, had a contract drawn up, text your secretary, "Hey, fill in these numbers, please." Uh, send them back to dinner. Five minutes later, have the agent peruse it. This look right? Yeah, it looks right. So we can agree to terms. Yeah, okay, we'll go over the fine print tomorrow morning. But yeah, you're coming with us. We're not we're not letting you take this out. Yeah, and so we'll see how it is. I mean, but first things first, before any of that happens, game three Thursday night in Utah, and the Mavs who, I mean, they were a couple of, I mean, who knows how game one would have played out if, you know, last night Kleba did it. Kleba hit the back-to-back three-pointers, and that really is what cemented this thing for the Mavs. In game one, he hit the first three-pointer, missed the second one, and then the Jazz went down and hit a three-pointer. And that was basically it in game one. Both these games have been neck and neck without Luka. I mean, the Mavs are capable of winning and beating the Jazz as they showed last night. And really, they were right there in game one without Luka. If Luka can somehow come back, and I don't know that he'll be there for game three, then you, you obviously if Luca plays and is good to go, the Mavs I think win this series and they may win this series four games to one. If Luca can't go, then this has the makings where the Mavs may be able to find a way to do this without him. I don't think. Uh, let me see. Like I, I haven't seen anything to me that says they can't win a series without Luca. I think it would it would have to go seven games, and they'd have to figure out a way to get it done. Uh, that's what I think. I think the Jazz ultimately would win a series, even if they have to win it in six or so, uh, because the realist in me says, okay, it's great that they won game two. It's fantastic. It's outstanding. You know, whatever superlative you want to you put on it. But they needed a career-high 41 points from a dude who never scored more than 34. And they needed some cat, this is what people on the outside would say, Maxie who? To score 25 and hit eight three-pointers. 
And okay, fine. I'll, I'll put. Uh, I'll take your thousand to one odds that that doesn't happen again in Game Three. So the question is, how do they come up with Game Three? And um, like, I don't like. And you know, the other thing is the strategy, man. Now that it's one-one, do you say, let's hold out, look at the Game Four, because the worst we're gonna be is down two to one, and yet we give him another four days to rest and eat and get better. Maybe. I mean, you could counter that by saying they won that on a night in which the Mavs only had two players score more than 17 points. And some of the guys that they count on, like a Dorian Finney-Smith, was 3 of 11 from the field. They barely got anything off the bench outside of Maxi Kleba. The other three guys off the bench did nothing. And Reggie Bullock hit a couple of shots, and that was basically it. You know, so it's one of those things where, okay, so maybe Jalen's not going to have 41 again, and maybe Maxi doesn't go for 25. But maybe Dwight Powell scores 12 instead of 2. Maybe Spencer Dinwiddie gets 30 instead of 17. Maybe Dorian actually hits some shots, and he's the guy that that emerges and does 20-plus. So I think there's some other ways to do it. And the defense that they played, you know, they played phenomenal defense down the stretch last night, and it feels like they have found a way to expose the fact that Donovan Mitchell can't play defense to save his life. It does appear to be that way because he's looked very, even to my untrained eye, he's looked very out of whack on defense, uh, visibly frustrated at times. And you wonder if after the game, Quinn Snyder was talking to him when he was talking about all the mental mistakes that they made defensively that have led to wide open, uncontested threes uh, for the Mavericks. It could be. And, and again, you know, Donovan Mitchell still scored 34 points last night. Bogdan Bogdanovich scored 25. Rudy Gobert was virtually invisible, but rebounding, that's not the case. And he's not the guy that they're, they're, Rudy Gobert, they're not relying on him to score 25 points a night. They're relying on him to rebound the damn basketball. And he was dominant rebounding. He had 17 rebounds last night. And the Jazz, once again, had 39 rebounds, out-rebounded the Mavs. It wasn't as drastic as game one, but they still had way more second-chance points. And the Mavs finding a way to do that. That smaller lineup that they go with, which forces Gobert to come outside and guard somebody, especially if Kleba's going to hit his threes, you can't just like kind of lay back off of them. And it kind of eliminates Gobert as a defensive threat at the rim. It, it's, it worked last night, and it, it, the Jazz are not that great of a defensive team outside of Ru, Rudy Gobert, obviously. And, and you know, you got to give O'Neill some credit too, probably. But I don't know. It feels like the Mavs might have figured out a little something. Now can you replicate that in game three when the Jazz are going to be at home? They're going to have the energy. Can you survive what's probably going to be a, a quick onslaught out of the gate by Utah on their home court? No, I think that's the issue is, you know, they shot almost 50% on threes and they took 47 of them. Um, so, you know, there was a whole – and, you know, the three turnovers. Oh, they had a lot of unreal performances yeah. last night that, that's hard to replicate. And so if I'm Utah, I'm not really tripping that much. I'm like, man, we wish we could have taken two. But, you know, we got the one, and look at all the stuff that had to go right for them for them to get uh, game two. Uh, so, But I think they've got a problem because the Mavs are a good shooting three-point team. And the way they're setting up their offense, if they're going to get uncontested threes because the Jazz don't know how to play defense – then that is a problem for the Jazz because those shots are still going to come. Yeah, so we'll see how it turns out. Game three is on Thursday night. Game four is on Saturday night, and obviously both of those games are going to be there at Salt Lake City. 
before they go back to Dallas next Monday night for game five. And right now we know you got to have all those games. So we'll see how it goes, but it was promising from the Mavs. It was a hell of a lot of fun, man. I mean, it was just, it was a lot of fun to see a lot of people nationwide that don't know the Mavs very well. A lot of people were like, Jalen Brunson, who the hell is this guy? (laughs) Yeah. And I thought that was kind of awesome. So good for them. I also know that it's awesome when you get a chance to try Bruce Biltong. And if you haven't done it for yourself yet, my main question is why not? Because it, it's it's just delicious. You're going to love it. It's savory. It's tender. It's it's gentle when you chew it. You're going to really <laughs> just love it. You're, you're going to love it. And it's available online at bruisebiltong.com. It's like beef jerky, but it isn't. It's your traditional South African air-dried meat. It is a phenomenal and very healthy snack with no artificial ingredients, no preservatives, no sugar, none of that. Has anybody ever heard of some some food called gentle in your mouth? Because I haven't, but that's a beautiful way to say it, man. You know, I'm off of Bill Tong. Uh, y'all know I like to work out. Y'all know I try to eat right most of the time. And I love it. 240 calories, 30 grams of protein. Dude, that's perfect for the way I like to get down. And uh, plus, the sliced biltong is as succulent and as tender mm. as anything you'll eat. That's right, man. And you've got to get it. Get a bag. Open it up. Put some of it in your mouth. Bruce Biltong is badass. Online, B-R-U-S-B-I-L-T-O-N-G. BruceBiltong.com. Also, use that promo code JAM15 at checkout, and you get 15% off your order, which is always fantastic. I don't know why you wouldn't take advantage of that. So you sent me a text earlier, and it was funny because I was in the car, and I was like, oh, no, it's your chicken scratch. I was like, what is this? <laughs> and so I had to wait till I got home, and I looked at it a little closer, and I was like, oh, okay, I, I make out at the top it says Javagori, and on the other <laughs> side it says A. Rissimtemengi. <laughs> <laughs> Put this shit on Twitter, and then you, I'm gonna let you. I'm gonna let y'all figure it out if it's really I that mean, bad. I, okay, I can tell. <laughs> it's yeah. it's Gregory it on, and it's Armstrong. It be on people to just stab you in the back like that. That's I mean, at first, yeah. look when you're driving down the road and I have my sunglasses on, it was hard to figure out exactly what it was. But I thought it was interesting, and the reason why you sent this is because Stephen Jones was on the softball question station today, and, you know, they're asking him some softball questions, and one of the things that Stephen Jones said was this. He said, we hated to lose Randy Gregory, went down to the wire with him, but at the same time, when you look at production and you look at what Dorrance Armstrong has done, he's right there from a production standpoint with Randy. Okay, and I say I'm just gonna say this because they get they they get offended when you say they ask softball questions and they really take offense to it because the natural follow up is well then why did you offer one dude seventy million and the other dude ten? Yep. I mean if they're the, if they're basically the same guy. Yeah, because he's saying he's right there from a production standpoint. They're basically saying yeah. they're the same guy. Yeah, one of them you offer twenty eight million, which is three times the other one's contract. <laughs> So, now, you know, I love Steven. He's a great dude, man. But, you know, man, I mean, come on, man. It's okay to call people on their BS. When they say something, ain't no different than your your lady friend calling you out on your BS if you say something or your parents. I mean, but it's okay to call people out on it and just say, come on, man. Why you, why, come on, Steven, really? Right. 
And it's, oh, check this out, man. Like, it don't have to be. And here's what I think people forget, man. You don't have to be confrontational when you call out people. All it requires is, Steve, <laughs> really, man? Then why you paying one three times more than the other with a dog? Yeah. It, it was, <laughs> and that was my first thought as well. Like, when I saw the quote, I was like, well, if that's the case, how come you didn't offer Dorrance Armstrong seven, fifteen, seventeen million dollars a year? You know? I mean, you know, so I'm being serious, but at the same point, I kind of get what he's saying. He's saying, well, since he's gone, you know, he did have five sacks and Gregory had six. You know, so, you know, it's kind of the same. He did have three tackles for losses and Gregory had four, so it's really not that much difference. Uh, you know, 27 hits on the quarterback versus 23. I mean, in terms of pressure. So it's really yeah. not that different. And Armstrong had, you know, twice as many tackles. But let's tell the truth. Third and seven, game on the line. Steven, who you want rushing the quarterback? You can only have one of them on the field. You're going to take Randy Gregory 99, 100 out of 100 times. So stop with the lovable bullshit. Well, and, and again, it goes back to, I mean, the reality of it is, who are you giving the contract to? You, you weren't trying to give that money, nor would you try to give that money to Dorrance Armstrong. That tells you everything you need to know. You obviously thought Randy Gregory had three times the value of, I mean, one of the things that they told us was, well, we couldn't get Randy Gregory. And then he named three guys they could sign. They, they think Randy Gregory's worth three players. Yeah, man. Uh, this is all I'm going to say. Because that's, you know, check this out, though. Once he leaves, you're just going to say whatever you got to say. It's like once she leaves, right. it's whatever, man. I mean, I didn't really love her all that much anyway. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, she she wasn't really that good of a cook. And, you know, in bed, she was just kind of, eh, meh. Before y'all broke up, man, let me tell you about this girl of mine, man. She's the best thing ever. Yeah. So that's so that's how it is. So I get it, man. But uh, uh, we'll, we'll see how this turns out. But the, what I was going to say is you tell me the last time you traded some star, not that Gregory's a star, but given what Steven says, you tell me the last time you traded a star for three or four or five or six players, and you're like, oh, yeah, the guys we got make up for the one star we missed out on. Yeah, that's true. Hardly ever. No. I mean, maybe there's some case out there. But you tell me the, the six guys the Lakers traded to Miami for the Shaq. For Shaq. Yeah, who are they? <laughs> <laughs> you know, tell me all the guys that, um, that uh, what you call it, traded for um, – Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, the Bucks. Yeah, I mean, come on, man. It, it just almost never works out. Uh, Herschel Walker to the Cowboys, but those were all draft picks as opposed to players. Mm-hmm. That's probably one of the few times it worked out. And that was just because the numbers were incredible at 9-1 to one or 8-1 to one or whatever it was. Yeah, that's where – and they got all that draft capital and all that. And I was curious because, to your point, we all know who Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is. And I and look, I'm sure many of you – this trade happened before my, I was even born. He was traded from Milwaukee to the Lakers in exchange for Elmore Smith, Brian Winters, Junior Bridgman, and Dave Myers. Uh, Dave Myers, greatest claim to fame is, I believe, his sister is basketball great Ann Myers. Okay. Junior Bridgman's claim to fame is he's, I think he owns like a hundred Wendy's and is one of the greatest. Has evolved into one of the the best businessmen in the world. He is that true solid, for real? 
No, that's that's uh, that's no cap, as the young people say. Wow, man. See, I've never heard of any of those guys. Uh, and he was a really solid basketball. Like he was a you know just a good player, not a great player, just yeah. a good solid player for ten or twelve years. Uh, who's the other guys? Elmore Smith. Seems like he played for my Buffalo Braves when I was a kid. Okay. <laughs> Well, there you go. That's how it sees. So you kind of recognize those names. And uh, who's the other guy? I don't know. I already clicked off of it. Oh, Junior, New York Post is reporting that Junior Bridgman uh, featured on Black Enterprises' Top 100 Businessmen may be buying Sports Illustrated. Wow. Okay. So they, <laughs> But point being is basketball players. Yeah. I don't know None that they them. did. Right. And that's, yeah. that's kind of what it was. So... Very interesting. It's it. Yeah, it's one of those things when you look at the Cowboys and some of the things and Steven does this all the time, man. I mean, it, it, to me, half the times it's like he's just talking in circles. But then again, it, it's what do you expect him to say? Well, yeah. I mean, OK, I, well, but I like this, expect, I can expect more than that. But like <laughs> like this quote that he said, talking about Amari Cooper and all that Steven's quote Sometimes you let a player move on, and it allows other players to step up in a bigger role. I know Amari was a great player for this, but this might allow CD and Michael to step up and play a bigger role. And then you know what blows my mind? So you let Amari Cooper know, like leave, like this dude that you thought was great, traded a first-round pick for, paid $20 million a year. He goes, in reference to CD and Michael, and who knows what their upside may be. Yeah. I mean, what are you, you're supposed to know. You're supposed to go on the radio and tell us, like, their upside, we believe their upside is tremendous, and we believe that those guys can, like, whatever, not who knows what their upside could be. Then why the hell did you let Amari go? Bro. I mean, my God, a, this team. You let him go on a hope and a prayer is basically what you say. Well, we, we hope a lot of things. Holy crap with these guys sometimes, man. But that's what um, he, he also kind of poo-pooed the notion about trading up because we we played it last week with the Jerry clip about how he oh yeah the, you could trade up in this draft and stare and and Steven basically talking about how it's such a deep draft class that you know costing two players for one to trade up early in the draft but again that's different than trading up from 24 to 20 or 24 to even like an 18 or something like that it wouldn't cost you a lot no nah. It's um I mean I think that's a uh, that's a that's a good way to do it, a good approach to take. Um but you know, trading up is only if there's a guy there that you like, okay, right. this is a real difference maker because the trade up is probably gonna cost you I mean on a draft machine it it doesn't cost that much, but in real life it may cost your second or your third. And again, I think this is a draft full of good players. I don't know if it's great players. Right, and that's the thing is that there is, you know, one of the things that I was reading about, and, and I hadn't even thought about this, one of the reasons why this draft is so much deeper than it has been in years past and why they believe that there will actually be some names on day three, even in this draft, that end up becoming prominent players in the league is because COVID, a lot of these dudes that are in this class, in normal years, they would have already come out of college. 
but because so many players in college took advantage of their ability to have an extra year if they need, if they wanted to. Right. So it, it kind of extra loaded up this class because of that COVID waiver that the NCAA allowed guys, you know, you heard about the super seniors and stuff. I mean, there, there are guys and you, and so that's why it added, you know, whatever it is, 50 to 60 guys that normally wouldn't be in this class that are in this class, which kind of just pushes everybody to some degree down and Will McClay has is, is kind of talked about that, saying why he thinks that this is a draft that will have a lot of depth, even on day three, when you get into the rounds, four through seven. Yeah, I think that's the thing. And see, to me, I think the uh, the Mavericks can feel, I mean, the, uh, the Cowboys can feel good about this draft because Will Smith, I mean, whoa, wow. Will McClay has been really good at finding guys in the fourth round. Dorrance Armstrong, Dak Prescott, and the fifth round, uh, the sixth round, whether it's uh, Cedric Wilson or Donovan Wilson. And so if you've got to, if, if this is going to be a draft of depth, I like the Cowboys' ability to find contributors. And, you know, guys like that have been contributors. Nobody's thinking that, that you find guys who become stars that late, but you can definitely find contributors. Yeah, you definitely can. So we'll see how it goes, but always interesting with the Cowboys and the draft course coming up next week how about some good news here shams prominent nba reporter everybody knows shams he is reporting there is optimism that luka Doncic will return for either game three or game four against the jazz that's good huh. news because optimism has not been reported before the first two games right right right, right so right. that means he's basically being told that yeah he's probably going to play this weekend all right. I mean, and so then the question becomes again, at one level, it's a question at uh, at another level, man. It's just, you know, can you pass all the all the things you have to pass to play? And if you can, then there's no need to there's no need for us to wait two more days for game four or whatever. Yeah, if you can right. pass it all. But if you can't. Then we got to wait for game four. Yeah, that's exactly what this is. I mean, they're going to play. If Luca, and that's the thing, people go, well, they should just not play him. If he can't, they're not putting him on the court if they have any I belief whatsoever that there's a danger to it. They would just hold him out like they did to Dirk years ago. I mean, right, they, right, they would right. just be like, no, he's not playing in this series. It's not worth it. But if he can do all these things and, the, and these guys that get paid a lot of money to make these decisions go, yeah, I mean, he's good. He could get hit walking across the street by a car. I mean, some of it is just just like he originally heard it, nobody knew that was going to happen. But as long as he passes all the phases and the doctors are saying, yeah, he can play, he's good, put him out there. That's what you have to do, man. I mean, that's literally what you have to do. It's really as simple as can you pass the protocols. If you can pass the protocols, you can play. If you can't pass the protocols, you can't play. It ain't complicated, my brother. It is not complicated. Cars are complicated, though. And sometimes, like, I don't know much about cars. We've talked about this before. Sometimes I wish I knew more. That's how come anytime I've ever had to take my car to a shop or a mechanic or something, a lot of the times I'm just trusting what they're telling me. And then in the back of your mind, like, there are times like, oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, I, I knew that. And you're like, God, I hope, I hope they're not screwing me over. You don't have to worry about that at Freeway Tire Shop. That's why Jacques takes all of his cars there. Easy to get to just north of downtown Dallas. JR and his guys tell you flat out up front, here's the deal. Here's what we're finding. We're going to take care of it for you. And they stand by what they do. Dude, I mean, what, what else do you want from a mechanic or a company that works on your car? That's really all you want, man. They have great deals on tires. They can get you in and out quickly. Uh, the service is great. As I like to tell folks, whether JR is there or not, 
the service runs on its own. He learned his service style from Home Depot when he was in the management program over there. And to me, man, it's all about trust. You can trust him to diagnose your issue. You can trust him to use quality parts to fix your car. You can trust them to charge you a fair freaking price. And then you can trust JR and his company to stand behind their work, man. What else do you want? That's what I like. It's Freeway Tire Shop. You guys get over there. Check them out. Experience the greatness that is Freeway Tire Shop. They're online where you can request a quote. You can schedule an appointment. FreewayTireShop.com. All right, let's do it. We jump in with, as we do every week, our ESPN NFL Nation Cowboys reporter brought to you by Blue Star Motor Group. It is Todd Archer joining us. And Todd, I'm sure you saw the comments of Stephen Jones today. He talked about a variety of things with the flagship. One of those, Jerry had mentioned, and we kind of talked about this last week, the possibility of trading up in the draft. And Jerry seemed kind of on board with that. Steven seemed to take the opposite approach. Hey, this is a deep draft. Not sure if we're looking at that. Do, do you see a player that they might be after that if they made it a certain point in the first round, they'd be wanting to trade up? If you look at the top 30 visits, right, you got to look at a, a few of the receivers. Drake London, Chris Olave, right off the top. To say if they get down to a certain spot, maybe they would be a guy they'd move up to. Uh, Charles Cross, Mississippi State, he's our uh, offensive tackle. He could be a guy that would fit into that mix that maybe you'd move up to if he fell to a certain level. But I, I always look at it like this, like Jerry's the dreamer and Steven's the conscience. Where Jerry doesn't rule out anything and he's like everything pie in the sky and yeah, this is possible, let's go and do it. And then Steven's the more realistic one. And, and some fans this offseason might say pessimistic or, or, or a person uh, when it comes to the draft or free agency and how they want to spend their money or allocate their, their assets. So th- that's how I took Steven's comments as, yeah, you know, we might do this, but realistically it's a deep draft, but we can, we need multiple spots. And I'll go back to what we talked about last week. They need their picks to offset what is going to be their cap situation over the next few years. And oh, by the way, did everybody see what Denzel Ward got on Monday from the, from the Cleveland Browns? Don't you think Trayvon Diggs is looking at something similar to that if he continues down this path? So, you know, that's why I think Steven just kind of, while not putting the kibosh on stuff, he certainly looked at it from a more realistic point of view. And so how do you think the draft goes? You think they just let it fall to them? Or if they can move up, you know, four spots to 20 or 19 to get a guy that they really want, they would go that route. Yeah, I think that's more, you know, letting it be boring. I mean, when you think of it, when they've had their, quote, boring drafts, right, they've done pretty well. When they've tried – Jerry was down for two days when they couldn't trade back into the first round to get Paxton Lynch a couple years ago. Turned out to be the best move they never made uh, because of what they would have had to give up to move into that spot to to take take him. So – I my sense is right now, while you never eliminate anything, the big bold move is not something that they would do at the moment. I mean, you know, the, the last really bold move was probably Claiborne in 2012, and we know how that worked out. So, I, I think you'll see a, a patient uh, a patient team on, on draft weekend. Doesn't mean they they won't move up for a couple spots like they did for Dez things like that, but I, I don't think you'll see the big, big bold move. 
if we look at this and, and there's a really good chance that like, for instance, the guard green could be there at their pick or even one of those wide receivers, most likely Burks might be there. If they're both sitting there and all things are equal, it, what position do you think they'd be more likely to take at that spot? No one's going to like this, but I'm saying offensive line. And, and one thing that Steven said uh, on the fan today was it's a deep draft for wide receivers. Well, if it's a deep, deep draft for wide receivers, then you can get a receiver that you think is going to be pretty good there in the second round. Whereas if it's not as deep, and if he didn't mention offensive line as a deep spot in this draft, that would, I, reading between the lines, I would say offensive line would be where they would go on 24 if it's between those positions and something else didn't fall to you, if, if an Olave or, a, right, right, or, yeah. or, or Drake on you know, one of those guys. Um, but if it's Burks and one of those offensive linemen, my my gut tells me that it would be the offensive lineman because of what Steven said, and probably not much of a factor, but I always do think it's interesting that as much as Jerry loves Arkansas, he's really not drafted a whole bunch of Arkansas guys. No, no. What do you think about, uh, and this just popped up with me and Matt uh, over the weekend, what do you think about a cornerback if, say, Stingley falls? Since now we have boss man Fett, who I, who I would already be gone with him. But, you know, since he's got his off-the-field issues. Yeah, I mean, there are concerns about Stingley because he's not as well. Maybe not, obviously, to the level of, of what we're talking about with Kelvin Joseph, obviously. but And maybe it's some paranoia or, or, or scariness that the last LSU corner that they took in the first round was Mo Claiborne. Uh, there's a – I don't know. It seems like there's a big boomer, boomer bust factor with Stingley and I understand that you know we can look at the need and see that they got to go maybe go do something because of what happened with Kelvin Joseph or what may happen with Kelvin Joseph um that I don't have a good feel on what they think of Stingley or what they would do if Stingley were to be there because if you just look at it from a skill standpoint well heck that would be like the, the Parsons thing or the C.D. Lamb thing, right? If he was there at, at 24 or 22 or something, then maybe it would make you think about it. Um, but I, I can't give you a, a good answer on what they definitively think of Stingley at the moment just on the conversations that I've had with, with folks because I guess I never really thought he'd be there at 24. Have you heard anything more about Kelvin Joseph as far as what the, in regards to the Cowboys, how they discipline this moving forward? Or is this a, hey, he did what we asked him to do and he went to the police and told him what we told him to tell him and, and nothing comes of it? I don't think this is over uh, because, you know, hey, we told him to cooperate with the police. It was a month went by before he actually said something and he had to say something because surveillance cameras caught him uh you know in, in a altercation with that group so it wasn't like he did the right thing because it was the right thing he did the right thing because he got caught as of what they do as of monday they didn't have the big the big staff-wide conversation of way what are we doing with kelvin joseph yet which is a little surprising right i you thought that might have been at topic number one when they reported to the star. Um, but it, it's safe to say that Jerry and Steven and, and McCarthy and the, in the, and Will McClay and all these guys have had 
conversations about whether they've had the staff-wide, this is what we're going to do. That's not happened yet as far as I can tell. But he still might fall into the legal the, – the legal issues aren't past him yet. He could still be charged with a crime. So, and I, you know, I, I'm personally, my opinion, I'm with Jacques on this one, move on. Who cares about the guaranteed money? Who cares about the position? Who cares about where he's drafted? Who, who, you know, sometimes you just have to do the right thing. And when a situation like this arises, arises <coughs> the right thing is to, is to just move on from the guy. Well, you're in agreement with that, Jacques. I, I saw your article. <laughs> well, I was going to see that, like, did you have a quick come to that, Archer, or did you have to sit around and ponder it for a moment? Uh, no, I, it, it wasn't. I didn't. I mean, usually I'm a guy who like tries to think think things through, and you know, you you want to be patient and not make emotional decisions and da 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 da. But this one, I was kind of like, there's no way he can be on this team. This isn't um, Randy Gregory stuff, right? This isn't heck. Pick anything in the Cowboys past with off-field issues. This is completely different. Like, the closest is probably what, Jock Dwayne Goodrich? Probably, and, unless, uh, unless you're going to put uh, Josh Brennan in there. Right, and, and that's a good one, too. I didn't think about that one. That, But this one, it still seems to be on a level, level. of severity that, than that, even though lives mm-hmm. were lost in both of those situations. Th- that I think was, those were those were accidental per se. Even though, you know, nobody's saying drunk driving is accidental, but you know what I mean. You didn't get in there. Right. Your, it your, wasn't your, premeditated. Your, yeah. I mean, and this this is a drive by shooting premeditated that they went to go shoot somebody. Yeah. Now and yeah. we don't know whether he was in there like, yo, fellas calm down or or whatever his role was, but the bottom line was he was there when it happened, and that makes him culpable and liable in a lot of ways. And again, it took a month for him to say something, right? I and mean, I, th- I think that's the reason I wrote what I wrote, which is for me, it's the silence is why you got to go. Like ultimately, you f- you knew at some point along the way somebody got hurt, murdered, killed. And at some point, bro, you got to be like, yo, I got to say something. And uh, right. the fact that he didn't means for me, just me, like, bro, I don't want you on my team. Like, I don't even want you around me, man. And, the, you know, I believe it was the Raiders, right? Didn't it? And not with the car accident, but was it Arnett who had his deal where they just, he got arrested and they said, we're done. We're moving yeah. on. Like, so, yeah. you know, I, I'm, you know, usually it's, hey, let the legal process play itself out, da-da-da-da-da. Man, this one just doesn't seem the same way. Uh, or, or not even the legal process, the NFL process. This one, this one just doesn't seem that you can look at it and treat it the same way. And that's why I'm curious. When we eventually talk to them as a group, um, and you just ask the simple question, why is Kelvin Joseph still on the roster? And then you can see what their answer is going to be. Sometimes, as Jacques, as we know, sometimes it's the easiest question 
are the most important questions. And that seems to be yeah. the easiest question to ask about Kelvin Joseph at the moment. Why have you decided to keep him on the roster? Who, well, we don't even know if they decided to keep him. They just not done anything yet. But we need to say, right. why is he on the roster? Yeah, they look at Archer. See, I have to have you over to my class to talk about interviewing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you know, that, that brings up the – and I know it's just one year in and we'll see how it plays out. But when you look at last year's draft class and how many picks they had, and it's interesting where obviously Parsons – well, I say obviously. I mean, who knows? Maybe he late and Vanderesh's himself, but it doesn't seem like he will. But when you look at that draft class, it's interesting where Kelvin Joseph was their second round pick, Nation Wright in the third round, you know, Cox and Ball in the fourth round. You also had a Diggy Zua and Golston in the third round. And it feels like there's a like a ridiculous amount of question marks out for that draft class last year outside of Micah Parsons. Well, I, I would say with Diggy Zua, you know what he is. He's a solid player that can make some plays for you true absolutely questions about um Golston but you saw some things that make you say okay if he moves into the Dorrance Armstrong role okay you, you can see that you know Nation Wright that's the guy that especially it, it, it would go on with Joseph can he be a player and they drafted him in the third round when maybe not a lot of teams had him that high so he's a guy that kind of swings the pen, pendulum of a whole class. And, look, you know, we can talk about Jabril Cox and Josh Small and these guys picked later on. It's really your draft class is determined by your top three rounds because those are the ones that you need to have come in and play and then you need to have be second contract guys. So it's always, you know, I guess I can say Dak made the 2016 draft. Um as a fourth rounder, mm. but that's pure luck. Yeah, that you know, I, I just think when you're in the top hundred picks, those guys better be players for you, or right around that top hundred number, I guess. They better be players and and significant contributors. And you're right, there, there's questions about. I, I think Odigazua is a pretty solid player. Obviously, we know Micah. We don't know anything about Joseph. He played two games basically. Um, and we don't know enough about Golston. We don't know enough yet about Wright. But those two guys can really swing what this draft class is. When you go back and look at it, uh, what kind of grade you would actually give it after you've seen them perform. What do you think about Damian Wilson, man? I aside, from the fact, aside from the fact that I think it's funny that he hadn't been with the Cowboys in four years. Right, it's former Cowboys. And he's he won a championship here, so. with, the, with the Chiefs, and he currently plays for the Packers. But his former cowboy last year. <laughs> arrested for uh, uh, all kind of sultry things, uh, not sultry, uh, bad things with his with his ex girlfriend. And that's that's the that's part of playing for the Cowboys too, right? You know. Who yeah, was that's the really guy? what I was getting at. There, there was there was an I don't want to say his name because I don't want to get it wrong, but I know there was an offensive lineman played here a couple of years that got put in prison, but he really wasn't a, a cowboy. But when he got sentenced, it was former Cowboys offensive. It's like, come on, man. He, he, he was here for like 30. Like, I don't even know if his name's in the media guys. You, you know what I mean? Like there's one. And, and that's what happens when that, that there's a lot of good that comes to the Cowboys. You, you have guys that don't play very much that can make a living off of, 
being a former cowboy. And then you have guys that haven't played very much when as soon as something bad happens, it they become former cowboys, not former Chiefs, Jaguars, Browns, whatever. Uh, it's always the Cowboys are the first team mentioned. Well, it's the relevancy of uh, the most mediocre franchise there is. They're always insanely relevant. <laughs> I mean, that, it's true. I mean, as mediocre as they've been for almost 30 years, they are the most relevant franchise that's out there. It's amazing. And, you know, the Lakers are trending into that direction now, yeah, too, right? Are. Yeah, S- missed the playoffs seven out of the last nine years. It's fantastic. The only, the only problem, like for all the Cowboys, Yankees, Alabama, Lakers fans that exist, you know, the only thing that sucks is when you're a real Cowboys fan. The fake ones just jump away and go do something else anyway. <laughs> I don't know why you put Alabama in that mix. They're at least getting to playoffs and national championship games. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. It, it's just the front <laughs> the front runner crowd that identifies with what they thought were the best of all time and, and everything. This is what I'm looking up, looking forward to. Like when we get to the draft, and they're going to draft some dude from uh, Fresno State who's going to say, "I grew up a Cowboys fan," <laughs> and you just want to be like, "Why?" You, you know what I mean? Like seriously, like, like God, they've not won since you've been alive. You didn't oh, my need dad to. Was a Cowboys fan. Yeah. Well, they've not. They, they've won once since your dad was alive. Like you know that that's. That's always the amazing thing to me when these people say, oh, yeah, I grew up a Cowboys fan. It's like, dude, you're in the middle of, like, Oshkosh, Wisconsin. Why are you a Cowboys fan? <laughs> that is, I've always, especially, you're right, especially with the group of guys that are coming out of colleges in the last few years. It's like, my God, you didn't realize early on you could have picked literally any other team? Like, you don't have to go through this. I mean, why would you? I, I mean, we're, we're closing Gosh. All right. If I was born in 1995, how old would I be today? Help me with math. You'd be 27 or turning 27 this year. Yeah. So you're first become sports conscious when you're probably five or six years old, right? Like, you know what? So, yeah, like these guys now, like, they don't know what the heck's going on with, with. with the Cowboys, right? I mean, they, they've never seen this team win. It, it, it's always it's, it's, Yeah, it's, 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 especially it's, it's, like when they're not from, like, Texas or the Dallas area. Exactly. You know, that that's what's so fascinating about it is you are you have no affiliation with Dallas whatsoever, and you just, well, yeah, my parent was a fan. Well, it, you know, if you're in your early 40s like me, yeah, you could have a, a kid that's in college now for sure, but even me, I mean, I was, I was in high school. How old was I when the Cowboys won in 95? I was, I, I, I was 15 years old. So even like for me, I mean, I remember it. I remember it well, but I mean, it, it's, I wasn't even an adult yet. Well, and, and now you get to the point where like some guys probably like a receiver is probably a Dez fan or, or a tight end yeah. was a Witten fan or a quarterback was a Romo fan or a pass rusher was a Ware fan. So that, that's how it kind of goes with that maybe a little bit now that it's become more individualized as to who you like maybe not the team but you like that player and you know Dez is clearly a player that a lot of the wide receivers coming out now would have influence on and and how he played and what he was like and so 
But you know, yeah. it's all interesting. It's all interesting because my uh, my son's not a Cowboys fan, and uh, I was thinking about Calvin Watkins. His kids aren't Cowboys fans. He's got two boys, uh, who are I think seventeen and nineteen. So it's just who interesting they how they up? didn't. Uh, you know what? I think, and I'm just I'm thinking this. I think they're both much bigger uh, college fans than pro fans. Well, I was going to say, AJ's a Ohio State fan, I know, because, well, the Buckeye, how many national titles have the Buckeyes won in his consciousness? Or at least been relevant, right? And right. They've never right, lost right, right. Michigan and blah, blah, blah. And you're wearing Ohio State stuff every day of the week. So that's <laughs> seared into, that gets seared into his brain. <laughs> yeah, but I never, I never talked to him about being a fan. I just said, this is what I do if you want to hang around and live here. Yeah, but that, you know, but it, it does kind of going back to like your parent. Like I'm a Cowboys fan because I, well, I was born, you know, I grew up in the Dallas area. But my parents, that's just what we like. Every weekend, my mom and dad watched the Cowboys games, and I, I mean, I, I don't remember in my lifetime not watching the Cowboys. And, and so it's interesting, like Jacques, like you always were working it. You know, and when he was a kid, you were there probably watching Ohio State games, so he got into it, and you were working the Cowboys games. Yeah, like, uh, that's, that's real talk, because, like, um, like, he plays Madden, but, like, most of his friends, they don't really watch a lot of football. See, I was also going to say, this is, this is a different kind of generation to me. They like to yeah. get out and do it a little bit more, um, so to speak, or they certainly like to play Madden more. And they're more into a virtual look of a game than actual watching a game. But uh, we used to watch Ohio State games together, but obviously we didn't watch any Cowboys games together. Right. And he pays attention to them casually, but he certainly has no emotional investment in whether they win or lose. Well, it's, yeah, like I, obviously I grew up in New England and everybody, oh, you're a Patriots fan. No, the Patriots were awful when I was born. Like, <laughs> they, they, they were good and they went to the Super Bowl in 85 and lost to the Bears. But I was a Giants fan because my dad was a Giants fan. Like, yeah. that was just the way it was. So, you know, like, I, I I plainly remember Bobby Carpenter's dad leading the Giants to a playoff win in the early 80s. Like, that, that's my, one of my first football memories. You know, and it, it's not Steve Grogan throwing a touchdown pass to somebody. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, whoever was on that '85 Patriots team, <laughs> right? You know that guy. That guy, yeah, exactly. Randy Vataha, perhaps. <sighs> Ir- Irving Irving Fryer might have been. Yeah, that's. Hey, I think he was. Stanley Morgan. That's the only name I could think of as '80s yeah. Patriots receivers was Fryer. Russ Francis. Russ hey, was not on to... that '85. I don't think he was. Uh, he went away and then came back. Right. Some I was just trying to throw out some. I was just trying to throw out names from the past. I was pretty impressed with Vataha, but, you know. Going down your Rolodex of random Patriots players? Don't forget, man. I grew up until uh, I was eight in Buffalo, right. so we had fierce rivalry with the Patriots. They're, they're the two leading receivers of 1985, Irving Fryer, who led with 39 catches, and also Stanley Morgan had 39 catches. Hey, I had, I had Stanley. Yeah, and then Stanley t- Morgan should be in the Hall of Fame. I'll say for some of these other jokers that are in there now, Stanley Morgan should be in there too. Look at his yard, career yards per catch. Wow, how about Man, that, Stanley Morgan? Okay, let's do there's that. A, there's there's an HSL it's gotta be right like there. I think it's like 19. It is. Holy crap! It is. It's 19.2. Yeah. yeah. Dang man, talk about a deep threat. Okay. It's when men were men. 
You know what? He played a long time, over 10,000 yards receiving. Sometimes if you play a long time, you can Frank Gore your way into a gold jacket. <laughs> uh, he doesn't have one yet. Nobody will. <laughs> I what? can't remember, man. Did we ask Arch about Randy Gregory and Dorrance Armstrong? No. When Steven says, hey, it's really not that big a deal, not that much difference between the two, do you chuckle? Well, sort of, yes. And if it's not that big of a deal, between, difference between the two, why did you make such a bid to keep Randy Gregory then? Why did you offer him $14 million a year? Like, and, and if you just look at – and you can't – like, okay, Gregory had six acts and Armstrong had five. Well, you got to look at it deeper than that, right? You got to look at pressure and pass rush win rates, and you know the the, the quote analytics of of the stuff. So, like, I don't think anybody's. And look, I think George Armstrong's a solid, decent player, but when they line up against the Eagles in week whatever, I don't think Nick Sirianni's going to say. We need to block 92 the way he would say, we need to know where 94 is, uh, you know, all the time. Right. So, uh, yeah, I would say that's a little bit, a little misleading. <laughs> just a yeah, little bit, yeah. That's one make sure. Now, I did just say, Stephen did come down and finally say, give the, the proper answer on the Amari Cooper allocation side of things. And not say, well, we couldn't have kept Michael Gallup if we, and some of these other guys, if we kept Amari Cooper, when you absolutely could have. At least he, you know, he came around to Jerry's answer on that one. More of Jerry's answer on that one than, than he had been. But, and the, the fact that he says they're not done in free agency, that gives you hope because there are some players that are still available that can, that can help this team that, They've not covered themselves yet in free agency, in my mind, going into the draft. Like they, I guess Connor McGovern is the starting left guard. He 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 couldn't hold the position last year, so the way you'd want him to. So, you know, I think you need an offensive lineman, like, and not just a God bless him, Joe Looney, but someone better than Joe Looney. Um, you need. You need another pass rusher type. Even though you got Dante Fowler, okay. You know, maybe there is something there where Jason Pierre-Paul, that he's a guy that you go when the draft is done, if you've not added a significant draft pick in the top three, four rounds, whatever, that he's a guy you go get. Um, right. Receiver, you know, I, I couldn't tell you who to go get at the moment. But, but yeah, I, I don't know if the Cowboys have covered themselves in free agency – the way, going into a draft the way they have the last few years. Well, as Steven said, they're not done yet, so maybe maybe the next James Washington will be headed to help shore up the Cowboys. You never know. Hard to say. All right, Todd Archer, as always, man, good stuff. We appreciate it. Thanks, guys. We'll see you. All right, there he is, Todd Archer, brought to you, as always, by Blue Star Motor Group. Go online, bluestarmotorgroup.com, pick yourself out a car, and then what you do is you make the easy call, because it's easy to do. 817-881-4066. You call Deb, and she goes, how can I help you? What do you need? And you say, Deb, I got to tell you, I'm in love with this thing that I found on bluestarmotorgroup.com. Maybe, maybe the 2016 Jeep Wrangler Unlimited. 
maybe the 2019 Toyota Tundra 4x4, whatever the case may be. And then she's going to smile. You'll hear her, you hear her smile through the phone, and you guys are going to work out a great deal, and you're going to feel awesome. Dude, there's so many cars there. And there's so many cars that this is what I like about it, man. It fits whatever budget you get, whether it's for a teenager, whether it's for a midlife crisis car, whether you need an upgrade of the family car. It's whatever, man. Uh, Deb and Mike can make it happen. I like them because they're all about everybody feeling good when the contracts have been signed and the final handshakes take place. They want everybody smiling. That's my way to do business. And so, hey, if you're in the mood for a car, you need a ride, give them a call. Pick up the phone. doesn't take anything to send Deb a text. She'll get back with you five or ten minutes and uh, and make it happen. It's easy process. you got to include them in it, man. It, it, your car buying process, simplify it. Make it easy for yourself. BlueStarMotorGroup.com. And if you don't see something on the website, but you have an idea what you're looking for, give her a call and see if they can help you out. 817-881-4066. Also, keep in mind, they do buy cars. So if you've got a car, a car in good working condition. I mean, go look at their website. Those are the levels of cars that they're looking for, man. So if you've got a car that you've come in, you know, one of the, I, I told a couple of friends this who had parents that had passed, and they're yeah. like, well, I don't know what to do with my parents' car. I was like, call Blue Star Motor Group. You know, th that's what we're talking about, where they're looking to purchase cars that are in good working condition, the same types of cars you see on their website, and they'll work out a great deal for you because they have such low overhead. So they're able to offer you a lot more than a dealership in some of these other places. Blue Star Motor no, Group, man. BlueStarMotorGroup.com. Give a call. Pronto. All right, so we'll do it a little differently today, and we're going to wrap up with a trip around the block. Normally we do it earlier in the podcast, but I'm switching it up today because I just want to. And <laughs> that's good for me. Yeah. So I, I thought I would throw out a couple of these things. First off, it is happening. It is finally happening. They are no longer requiring you to wear a mask at the airport or on an airplane, which I think is phenomenal. It used to drive me insane that I was vaccinated and that we were this far along in this thing, and you, they were still making you have to wear a mask. It's pain in the ass. Uh, you know, I'm, it's like, whatever, man. It's, it's the rule, so fine, I follow it. Um, but I did, I did almost get into a confrontation with an old woman uh, for harassing me about the mask when I was only trying to drink some water. Yeah, you got to so calm fact down. That, so that you can, the fact that you can now eliminate a lot of the frustration drama um tension that's the word i was looking for on airplanes now i think that'll be a good thing yeah and look the reality of it is at this point if if you want to wear a mask by all means wear a mask wear it everywhere you go do it all the time if you don't want to wear one don't wear one i think that at this point we all are aware of what's going on and it's got to be up to us and wearing it on a plane, man, when you're sitting there for a couple of hours. And really the problem becomes like when you're wearing it all through the airport and then you got to wear it. And what would drive me insane is how there would be signs everywhere saying you got to wear a mask in the airport. It's federal regulation or whatever. And then you'd see people walking around without one. I'm like, well, obviously it isn't since those people aren't wearing one. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, that's that's why I say it'll be a lot less tension, you know, and uh it just just leave people alone, man. If they want to rock a mask, fine, rock a mask, and uh, you know because now you'll get you'll get those people who be harassed because they're wearing a mask. It's like it, it's cool, whatever yeah. you want to do, man. Yeah, who cares? Um, do whatever you want. 
Yeah, as long as you're not bothering anybody, rock it, rock it the way you want. I'm just glad that we have we have moved on from that on planes, man, and and just let it be what it is. The other thing, and I wanted to say good anniversary, and it's coming up this weekend. So you guys in Dallas, if you get a chance, swing by. They're good people. It's Texas L Project. And they are having their seventh anniversary party this weekend at the brewery. And it's wild because I worked there. I, I worked at Texas L Project for a couple of years before you and I started doing the show full time. When I was doing part time at ESPN, when I first moved back to Dallas uh, a few years ago, I worked at Texas L Project and I worked there for a solid two years, man, and, and really enjoyed it. They were always good to me and enjoyed their beers. They're good people. So if you get a chance, swing by. Beautiful, beautiful brewing facility there right off of Riverfront in basically downtown Dallas. But it's kind of wild to think that I was there for their second anniversary party, and now they're on their seventh anniversary party, which is pretty cool. Dude, it's it's uh, as you and I can attest, it's hard as hell to make a business work, man, and keep it standing long term. So, um, you know, hats off to them. Also means their product is good because you can't survive in the uh, in the brewery industry if you if you don't make good beer, man. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's it's is that basic, and so uh, congratulations to them. Yeah, it's it's pretty cool. It, it's it's interesting to see when it's one of those. There's a lot of stuff that happens in the in the brew scene, especially behind the scenes, and that was really with my love of craft beer, one of the first places that I was able to really get in behind the scenes and learn you know a colossal amount about beer and how it's made and and just met a lot of great people in the beer community throughout dfw which was fun the other thing this was interesting because you texted me this and this is something that i've really noticed a lot lately as well and that was that you've seen a bunch of restaurants looking for people to work in a bunch of places like popeyes and fast food places that are only doing drive-through because they don't have enough people to work in the stores and i don't now, you know, it's all about me, but it drives me nuts because I'm in, and you know, man, Matt and I have discussed this a thousand times. I'm an impatient person. Mm. I'm that person who, if I see the drive through 10 cars in it, I go, oh, fine. I'll park and walk in. And, you know, we live in such, in, I think anyway, such a lazy society. Nobody yeah. just wants to get out of the car. They just want to sit in there. So it bums me out when I have no choice but to wait in line because, you know, Sometimes if it's just me, then fine. Okay, I'll wait or go somewhere else. But if it's about other people, it's like, okay, I guess this is where we're going. And so, uh, shoot, I went to grab some breakfast the other day. Long line of McDonald's, man. So I parked the car, got out. Uh, and the lobby was closed. So it was just me. So I got back in the car and drove off. <laughs> <laughs> Came awesome. home and made myself a, a protein shake and said, ah, I guess good Lord wanted me to have that today. Uh, and so, you know, but dude, and I was driving through Popeye's, uh, because again, this, this was one time it wasn't about me. And I got up to, I said, how come the lobby's closed? And the woman said, we don't have enough people to work. There's only three of us. We can't work the counter and work the drive through. So everything's in the drive through. And this is not an isolated thing, bro. No, There's it's a everywhere. Lot of restaurants like that. Yeah, it's every. And, and um, what's wild is that these people are going to have to start realizing that you're just going to have to pay more. You're going to have to pay more at these levels so that you can attract people that want to come work for you. And you know what? It may cut into whatever your profit margin was before or whatever you're ter- telling your shareholders, but that's better than losing colossal tons of money because you can't open a store. 
because um, the the attitudes have changed, and this is what I mean. Like my dude has always been a worker. Like he, and once he started working, he literally stopped asking me for money. He was that. He's that kind of yeah. personality. Uh, that dude has had three jobs, man: Starbucks, Walmart, and now Papa's Brothers Barbecue. He has never made less than fifteen bucks an hour. It's amazing. And and I'm laughing because I'm so old that when I started off, I was making three thirty five, which was minimum wage. Yeah. And I remember I think I told you this story how I was a dynamic yes, I'm not exaggerating. I was a dynamic employee at McDonald's and I literally quit because they wouldn't give me a quarter. Yeah. They wouldn't pay me three seventy five. They said, Oh, we can't afford it, we gotta keep you at three fifty. And I left. I told them I was leaving. They're like, "Oh, uh, we can get you three seventy. Nah, bro, too late, dog. I holler at you." And uh, I say that to say that my son told me last week and said, uh, "Yeah, I'm thinking about asking for a raise." And I'm like, "Did you just get there?" He's like, "Yeah, I've been there about a month." <laughs> yeah. And he's like, "But I'm doing a lot of work, and they need good employees, and uh, I don't want them taking advantage of me. So yeah, I think I'm going to ask for eighteen, which is what." This other guy who does exactly what I do makes. <laughs> I think that's fair. And I said, uh, normally I would say, could you at least wait for like 90 days? But in today's world, I was just like, hey, man, go for it if that's what you feel. Yeah, it's it's really interesting the way that all of that works and how different things are today. And I was just curious because when I started, minimum wage for me, I believe, was 475 when I started working in high school. And that today would be the equivalent of like $9 and 15 cents. You hear this a lot, man, and people really don't get it. It's not a livable wage, brother. No, it's just not. I mean, it's literally not a livable wage. And the reason people aren't working is I can make I can live. I can live if I'm at home getting government assistance on my rent, which is, you know, whether it's Section 8 housing or whatever. If I can get food stamps and all this other stuff. I can I can live because um, three sixty a week times four weeks fourteen hundred dollars a month is not a livable wage for just about anybody, man. No, it's insane, and 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 there's got to be company. I mean, reality of it is, like I said, I mean companies are going to have to realize, and some of them are starting to. You're either going to have to pay more if you want people that are going to work at specific jobs or people just aren't going to work them anymore. And that's what we're seeing. I um, think that's I, I, I talked about the concession problem at, at the USFL game I went to over the weekend. Yeah. I, I, somebody had tweeted at me and I was like, you know what? I didn't even think about that. That's probably true that they have a staffing issue and that it's tough for them to be able to staff all the concessions. So instead, all you can do is open what you've got workers to cover and you have all these crazy lines. Yeah. I was like, that makes a lot of sense because it's all across the board at a variety of different industries that are struggling with this. Dude, it's a, it's a different place. But, you know, it's um, America, because we're a capitalistic society, man, we have a lot to be desired when it comes to employees yeah. and, and taking care of employees. I mean, we're the hardest working country and pretty much pay people the least amount of money. Um, in, in some respects, because, you know, it's all about capitalism. It's, it's, it's all for me. It's not for, you know, you, you're, you're on your own, Matt. Make it happen. If you can't, oh, well, tough for you. Um, but there's got to be some humanity involved where, where you encourage people to, to work for a fair wage, uh, you know, so that they can feel like contributors to society and whatever, the, whatever it is that they're doing. 
Yeah, it's wild. I, I, I don't, I never realized that we would get to a point where it's like this. It's a good thing, you know, now, I mean, that's one of the things that came out of the pandemic was people realized I don't have to do this. Like I, I'm going to find something that I enjoy doing and more people are doing that, which I think overall is a good thing. It, it can create some frustrations for some of us, obviously, but all in all, it, it's probably a good thing long-term. The other thing that I have for you, because we talk about stuff we're watching all the time, and I had brought this up on our last podcast, the, the Better Call Saul season six, which is the final season premiered last night. I haven't watched it yet, but I did come across an article that confirms that there will be appearances by both Jesse Pinkman and Walt White, that Brian Cranston and Aaron Paul are both in season six at some point. Yeah, and uh, I think they're going to be getting started pretty early. Oh, wow. So you've seen episode one. No, I've seen that article. Okay. Yeah, I've seen it. It sounded to me like that they're not just going to be like random ass appearances like they're they're going to be you know you'll see them multiple times right uh and know that they're going to run some of the storylines together so it's it's going to be intriguing it's going to be really interesting and i can't wait to check it out yeah i'm stoked because i will watch it tonight because we have our the final episode of season five we'll be able to knock that out tonight and then we're going to watch the premiere episode of this i also saw that hbo max now has the batman and so the problem is that's a three-hour movie, like a legit three-hour movie, the Robert Pattinson Dude, version. That's quite an investment. There, but all, all I've heard from people, everybody that I know that has seen it has said it is awesome. Like he oh, is wow. an awesome Batman, and it is really, really good and really dark. So it makes me really want to see it. But that may be one that I'll have to wait until later in the week because, I mean, we, we'll watch maybe three hours of TV, but we like to knock out shows. And so I don't know if I've got three hours of movie watching. Well, yeah, it's uh, but you know, if it's riveting, you do. And have you have you ever seen the TV show Barry? No, what's that about? It's on HBO Max and it's an American. It's a dark comedy about a dude. It stars Bill Hader. And apparently it's, it follows a guy named Barry who's a Marine who works as a hitman. Lonely and dissatisfied with life, he travels to Los Angeles to kill a target and ends up finding an accepting community in a group of eager hopefuls within the, L, the L.A. theater scene. And I, I've heard from multiple people, and this is one of awards and stuff, I've heard that it's really good. Like my producer that I work with here in Birmingham, he was like, dude, it's the best show on television right now. I was like, really? Really? It's on HBO Max? Yeah, it's on HBO Max. Season three just dropped yesterday, I believe it was. And it's, I mean, Bill Hader has won a couple of times for outstanding lead actor in a comedy series at the Emmys. Oh, well, it should be, uh, I might need to check that out before I cancel it. I just canceled it, but I think I've got about two more weeks left before it runs out. Oh, did, did, you didn't watch the, the, the Lakers Showtime thing? I had no interest in it. Really? Man, I'm, that, no, I'm very curious to I, see I, that. I read, I read Jeff's book. Yeah. And the book was great. I just, I mean, you know, I have a problem. Some shows like that, which is based on history, like, like that ain't met. I mean, like the people are so famous that I just can't buy into the characters. I got you. Cause you're like, Oh yeah, there's no, that's not magic Johnson. That's not Larry that's, bird. That's why I never watched any of the Muhammad Ali movies. Like, 
Damn, really? Man, you missed out. Will Smith was awesome. Like, I don't care how good Will Smith is. I'm going to see Will Smith, not Muhammad Ali. Interesting. Okay. Well, I mean, just to be fair, in in his version of Ali, he actually punches. He doesn't slap. (laughs) That's cool. (laughs) Man, okay, that's interesting. See, I, I'm I'm always like I find it fascinating. Can the actor or actress take it to a place where I'm like totally bought in as them as this person? Yeah, I mean, I think that's the trick and that's the hard part. Like the thing, like Jessica Chastain, I was talking about her portrayal of Tammy Faye Baker. I was like, my God, she's Tammy Faye. Like this is insane. Yeah, but see, I'm not intimately aware of Tammy Faye Baker, so oh, I could yeah, okay, I could yeah. buy that. That makes sense. But athlete, for the most part, athletes, I'm so aware of them. I got you. You know, it just doesn't work for me. Okay. All right. Well, there you have it, I guess. So a lot of (laughs) lot of things to work on, man. I've got a few shows to knock out and wrap up. I mean, we got hell, you know, season two or not season two, whatever, part two of the final season of Ozark is coming out in eight days. Dude, gotta get ready for it. I know, that's what I'm saying. I gotta catch up. So I I've got a binge weekend available for myself. Sounds like a winner. We'll see how it plays out. Thanks for listening to the Jam Session podcast. Make sure to find us on Instagram at Jam Session Cast. Of course, you can also find us on Twitter at McMatt Radio and at JJT underscore journalist. Our podcast is sponsored by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights the legal battle so you'll have time for healing and renewal. Give them a call at 972-934-8900. Greening Law, Office, Dallas, Texas. As always, thanks to Purple Elephant Music for the music you hear at the end and the beginning of each episode. He, of course, is the radio, TV, and now podcast star, the sexy Jean-Jacques Taylor. And me, I'm just a guy, Matt McLaren. We'll catch you next time right here on the Jam Session Podcast, available everywhere you listen to podcasts.